Amen, amen. Well, good morning. You made it. You made it to church on Sunday morning. If you're joining us online, we're so glad that you found us. Um, If it looks like I'm farther away, it's not because the sanctuary got bigger. It's because we've had one issue after another. When I say dozens of technical issues this morning, I'm not kidding. When you have one or two, you just chalk it up to a glitch here or there. When you have 20 or more, you start to think, Something big's going to happen today, and Satan doesn't want it to happen, or he wants you to be distracted. And so we're probably just going to have the one uh, angle on the camera. Um, For those of you joining online, for those of you in the room, you don't know what I'm talking about. And thanks to our phenomenal tech team, you probably didn't notice the issues that we've had. Um, So thank you guys, Ben, Michael, Zach, Keaton in particular. Um, We turned things on. There were video issues, mic issues lighting issues, one thing after another, and uh, we just, the show will go on. The, the gospel will go forward. Jesus meant it when he said the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, and uh, we're, we're here in testament to that today. And I also want to begin this morning uh, just by extending uh, one more thank you. If you were not at the local church conference or didn't join us online uh, last Sunday, we did share the results. Um, the extended call uh, vote went through with a strong majority, and so it is an honor for Heather and I to accept that invitation to be uh, the pastor here long into the future, and our family is is delighted to be calling Linwood and Sioux Falls our home, and uh, it feels very good uh, to be here, and so we thank you, um, and uh, just would also share, if you missed that local church conference, uh, it is available on our Facebook page. You can go into the videos section and see that there, um, and it would be a great opportunity just to hear all the reports and and hear all the results of everything. Uh, last time I'll mention this, but if you haven't picked up one of these uh, yellow report booklets, um, this has got a lot of information from each of our areas of ministry, and they make a great outreach tool. They make a great invite. We have several spread out throughout the lobby area and if if you haven't if you've invited somebody to church a number of times maybe put one of this these in their hands and help them see what's going on in children's and in youth and in worship and in in seniors and care ministries and everything that is happening at Linwood um, is in that report uh, so that's an opportunity for you as well and uh, it's interesting uh, at that meeting at the local church conference I talked about our mission and our vision and our core values, and one of those core values is, is centering our lives on the Word, centering our lives on the Word. And we define that here at Linwood as consistently preaching, teaching, and applying the Word of God to our lives in every aspect, both individually and corporately. And we had a good example of that this past week. Last Sunday, I preached a message titled, Don't Touch the Buffalo, and it was on the subject of temptation And I gave a specific example of don't touch the buffalo and why you shouldn't touch the buffalo. And then uh, several people shared uh, through social media a a story that took place this past week out in Custer State Park uh, of a woman who got very close. We talked about not seeing how close you can get to the buffalo or to temptation. Uh, This is a picture of too close in every sense of the word. Um, and if you haven't heard this story, somehow, miraculously, 
she was not injured worse than, than she was. She was released from the hospital the same day. The buffalo hooked her by the, the belt and the pants, and I think the only thing that saved her life was that the pants came off. And so, um, so we, we are grateful that that wasn't a worse story than it was. Um, it's actually made national news, not the best way to make national news. But all of that, I think, serves as further proof that you can count on practical, applicable teaching here at Linwood week in and week out. I don't want to go into the prophetic uh, nature or gift necessarily, but um, we are finishing up our series titled Don't Be Dumb, where we have been digging deep into God's wisdom. We've been taking a somewhat fun or humorous approach at times to very serious subjects. And we've talked about the importance of seeking wisdom that you don't stumble into wisdom very often. You seek it with intentionality. Uh, We looked at the story of Solomon seeking wisdom. We've talked about how our friends and our words really matter. Uh, The friends, you know, help chart the course of our lives. The words really speak to what's going on inside of our hearts and our souls. And then last week we talked about temptation with the message, don't touch the buffalo. And, and the idea that the wise flee from sin. They don't flirt with it. They don't see how close they can get. They stay in the truck and wait for the herd to move through before they drive on. And uh, that is wisdom indeed. This week's message is titled, Let It Flow. I think originally I had the title, Passing It On. Um, The idea being, you know, what do we do with the wisdom that we acquire? What do we do as we become wise? What is a wise person to do with the wisdom they have acquired? Are they to hoard it? Do we hide it away and, and lock it up tight to make sure we don't lose it? Or do we share it? Do we share it with others? Do we pass it on? Do we let it flow? Are we to be reservoirs? If you understand what a reservoir is, they take a river and they build a big dam at one end of the river and it backfills and creates a reservoir. Are we to be reservoirs for God's wisdom, storing up as much of it as we possibly can? Or are we to be rivers, swift and fast, where the current of God's wisdom flows through us? into others? Are we just supposed to collect as much as we can? Or is there an element at which we can acquire additional wisdom as we allow God's wisdom to flow through us into other people and we share the wisdom that we have? Well, I want to look at uh, probably my favorite passage in all of Proverbs and save the best for last here. It's Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 through 12. I believe it's page 997 in your pew Bibles. If you want to grab one of those, um, if you're joining us online, take a minute and get to Proverbs chapter 9, 7 through 12. We'll camp out in there uh, for a while. But here's what Solomon writes in Proverbs 9, uh, 7 through 12. And in this section, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, it's almost as if, as if wisdom is being personified and is addressing the readers. So in the first seven chapters, he consistently says, my son, my sons. My, he's addressing this basically to his children, both literal and, and more figuratively. But here, it's as if wisdom is making an appeal. And so when you read chapter 8, the tone changes quite a bit. And you can read this appeal that wisdom makes, and chapter 9 continues that. And so in chapter 9, uh, we read these words as if wisdom is speaking. 
Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. So do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me, wisdom is speaking, your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. Unlike this guy I used to know, who did really stupid stuff, just in the interest of getting that one spot clear up in the corner, where nobody would ever notice if it was painted off-white instead of beige, or off-white one instead of off-white two. That's a guy I used to know. He doesn't do that stuff anymore. I've acquired some wisdom, and now years will be added to my life, right? Uh, I think Heather had the camera in one hand and the phone in the other hand uh, ready to call 911. Um, Because if you are wise, finishing up in verse 12, if you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. And uh, so basically in this passage, we see that the wise are being addressed. There's instruction being given. First, don't rebuke a mocker. That's the first instruction that is given in verse 8. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. That we don't rebuke or correct a mocker because if we do, we'll be inviting insults, abuse, and hatred from that mocker from that foolish one, from that wicked one. And it's, it's interesting um, that it starts with whoever, whoever corrects a, a mocker, whoever rebukes a wicked man, but then it shifts and the address is given to those who will listen. Those who will listen to wisdom get some imperatives. There, there's commands that are given in the second half of or I'm sorry, in all of verse 8 and 9. Do not rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man. Here's another command. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. So we're told not to rebuke or to correct a mocker. We are told instead to instruct, to instruct the wise and teach the righteous And Warren Wiersbe sums up this whole passage. Warren Wiersbe is a a famous pastor, Bible commentator. He's often referred to as the pastor's pastor. He wrote a series of commentaries that are so practical and so applicable, and he has a way of breaking down a passage and restating it. And here's how he restates this passage. He says, Sinners don't want to be rebuked and reproved, but wise people will accept and benefit from both, from both reproval and Uh, from being rebuked. Fools, scoffers, and the simple like to have their own way and be told they're doing fine. But wise men and women want the truth. Teach wise people and they'll accept the truth and become wiser. Try to teach fools and they'll reject the truth and become even greater fools. And the reason is that the wise have the humility to accept new learning. The wise have the humility to say, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have a corner on the market when it comes to wisdom and knowledge and truth. And when another wise person rebukes them or corrects them, they have the humility to say, there might be something to this. There might be something in this for me. 
and they actually loved the person who's rebuked them or corrected them or taught them. They accept that correction, that teaching, and that rebuking as a gift. They say, thank you, and they smile. Not so with a fool or a scoffer or a wicked person. You've probably been in that place before where you have corrected somebody or rebuked somebody, and the return on that was insults and hatred and scoffing and scorn. And it's interesting, there's a number of different words that are used here. In verse 8, we're told, you rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Rebuke is probably the most confrontational of the words that are used. Rebuke is used, instruct is used, and teach is used. Rebuke is the most confrontational, but there is a time and place for a godly rebuke. When somebody is in the wrong, and the only way to, to get the point across is, is a fairly confrontational or um, perhaps judgmental response. And Henry Cloud is one of my favorite authors to read and one of my favorite speakers to listen to. He's a Christian psychologist uh, and Bible teacher, and he sort of restates verses 8 and 9 this way. Wise people adapt themselves to the truth. Wise people adapt themselves to the truth. Fools try to adapt the truth to match themselves. So be wise, listen, and adjust yourself to reality. That's the difference between the wise and the fool. And when I read that statement, fools try to adapt the truth to match themselves, I thought, boy, isn't that a telling statement of current events that we see in our world all around us as postmodernism and moral relativism pushes in and says, who are you to say what is true and not true? And who are you to define absolute truth? Everybody should decide their own truth. That's a prevailing concept in today's world, and it comes right out of what the Word of God declares to be foolishness. And so we have to make sure that that we are grounded in the truth. Both Wearsby and Cloud emphasize the importance of truth. And what do we do with the truth? Do we stay away from it? Do we put our Bible in a box and put it on the bookshelf? Or do we spend time in it? Do we invite the truth into our lives, both in the Word of God by coming to it on a regular basis, on a daily basis, and letting it bring truth into our lives? Do we meet with people who will tell us the truth? Do we have two or three or four close friends that we can ask, say, hey, do you see any blind spots in my life? Do you see anything in my life that doesn't match up with, with God's best version of me? And, and then we listen and we respond and we invite that type of feedback and give thanks and have gratitude for that. We invite rebuke because we understand that's how we get wiser. That's how we get better. That's how we grow closer to God. That's how we become less abrasive in the world and a better witness for our Savior. So that's verse 8. Verse 9 uses the words instruct and teach. And you might think, well, aren't those synonymous? But in the, the original language, the Hebrew language, when Solomon wrote this all out, there were two different words that he used. And the word instruct there literally means to transmit wisdom to, to to almost, it's not a rebuke necessarily, but it's a little bit more formal transmission or conveyance of knowledge, of wisdom, too. And then in verse 9 on the second half, it says, teach a righteous man 
and he will add to his learning. That word teach there is from the Hebrew word yada, which is the word we often translate as know. Uh, it's the most intimate form of knowledge. Uh, when, when we talk about knowing God, that word in the, in the Hebrew is yada. It means a deep, intimate knowing and knowledge. So much so that the word picture of, of a man knowing his wife following marriage is the same. It's a derivative of that same word yada. And so when we talk about teaching a, a, a righteous person, we're talking about conveying deep, intimate knowledge in a, in a personal setting. So there's the rebuke, there's the instruction or the transmission, and then there's this deep, intimate knowledge. And all three of those are working together as we seek to attain and then transmit wisdom. And so we see Proverbs thirteen fourteen. a little later on, Solomon revisits this subject in Proverbs thirteen fourteen and says, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. The teaching of the wise, that when a wise person is teaching something, that's a fountain of life. And Jesus said in John that, that we, that the wellspring of living water will flow up into our lives. So the more of God's word we get into our hearts and into our minds, and the more that that kind of splashes over on everyone around us, we're, we're speaking words of wisdom, speaking words of life. We're, we're speaking and teaching, and we're turning people from the snares of death. That's the idea, that this comes into our life. It flows through our life out into the lives of others. So that our bottom line this morning should come as no surprise. The wise are to be rivers of wisdom, not reservoirs. We're to be rivers of wisdom, that it flows into our life and it flows out from our lives into the lives of others, that we're rivers of wisdom, that we take wisdom in from the Word of God, from our discipleship group or our small group, from our Sunday school class, from other pastors and and teachers and sermons that we hear and other books that we read. We take all this wisdom in, but we don't let it stop with us. We don't become a reservoir. We allow that wisdom to flow through us into the lives of others. We make sure that we have a solid witness that people will want to listen to us and want to hear what we have to say and that they'll come to us and they say, you're somebody that seems to have some things figured out. What would you say about this? And we're receptive to that from other people because the wise never stop learning. I think that's what this passage is saying. And one of the ways that we continue our learning is to teach somebody else. Have you ever heard that progression of knowledge where you have an apprentice and you say, you watch while I do, and then I'll watch while you do, and then you'll do while somebody else watches, that you learn by teaching, you learn by debriefing what you have done. And so as we transmit wisdom to other people, we learn even more by teaching it. Some have said, show me and I'll understand. Include me, and I'll learn. Have me teach it, and I will master. And as you teach somebody to play an instrument, or you teach somebody how to do some other skill, you learn new things about it. You learn how to help somebody get over the hump. And the same is true with wisdom. In fact, I would say only the proud, only the arrogant, only the lazy would decide to stop learning. And most people don't do this. They don't say, you know what? I'm done. I'm done learning. I don't want to learn anything more. It's not an act of the will. We just sort of drift into it if we're not careful. 
If we're not intentional, way back in week one, the wise seek wisdom. They seek it out. They look for it. They pursue it. And only the proud and the arrogant and the lazy would decide to, but I think we might more likely just passively drift into a distracted state. Or maybe we become experts in something that doesn't matter at all instead of pursuing the wisdom of God, instead of pursuing with intentionality the attainment and the transmission of wisdom. This would be contrasted by Solomon. Solomon, who, who wrote out the book of Proverbs, the wisest man who ever lived, he wrote out the book of Proverbs, and he made his purpose in doing so crystal clear. We looked at this in week one. And at the beginning of each of the first seven chapters, he says why he's doing this, so that his sons, not just his literal birth sons, but figuratively those who would come after him, his nation, that his sons would have wisdom, that they would They would live long lives, that they would be prosperous, that they would be fruitful, that all of these good things would happen. And here we are, 2,900 years later, 7,000 miles away from Jerusalem. Do you think Solomon had any idea when he commissioned the writing of Proverbs that there would be people in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, 2,900 years later, 7,000 miles away, talking about stuff that he wrote and seeking to apply his wisdom to their lives? That's what's happening And that's what happens when we get serious and intentional about transmitting the wisdom that we have. Just like we won't find it on accident, we probably won't transmit very much of it on accident. But if we get intentional about it, it's amazing what could happen. I had a wonderful conversation with somebody this past week, uh, somebody who said, you keep talking about these discipleship groups, Pastor Mark, and I want to get into that game. I'm not sure about recruiting a group, but if you have some guys, I would be happy to, to work with them. And so we talked about that, and we shared. And, and just in conversation, he said, well, yeah, I can do the Banding Together Journal. I can do that reading plan. I already read five, five chapters of Psalms and one chapter of Proverbs every day so that I'm getting all the way through Psalms and all the way through Proverbs every month. I've just been doing that for years. I'm like, this has got to be one of the wisest people that I know, and here's why. They're always taking in more. They're intentional about it. And through the course of that conversation, we got the idea, you know, there's a local ministry that is asking for somebody to come and teach a study or teach a discipleship group to the people that are participating in that ministry. And it feels like just a perfect perfect fit. And so that's the kind of thing that happens when we seek wisdom and seek to transfer that wisdom to other people, seek to be a river to allow it to flow into us and out through us. And so that was exciting. Those are the conversations that really fire me up. And I want to close by looking at a New Testament verse that's built on the foundation of what we've been looking at so far, this idea of continually growing and seeking to transmit where we are growing in wisdom. And it's in Second Peter chapter 3, if you want to flip pretty much to the very end of your Bible. There's not much after Second Peter. It's on page 1897. Yeah, 1897. And uh, in this passage, uh, Peter's wrapping things up in his second letter. And he says this. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. And so, just like we never stop seeking wisdom, we never stop growing in our relationship with Jesus. We never say, that's enough. I've had all I want. 
We keep seeking more. We keep seeking to grow. And we keep seeking to grow not just in knowledge, but in grace as well. And not just in knowledge in general or grace in general, but in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it brings him glory. It brings him glory when we are intentional about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's a secret I've learned the hard way a couple of times and I've observed over and over. It is easier to grow in knowledge than it is to grow in grace. It is far easier to grow in knowledge than it is to grow in grace. You see, growing in knowledge just requires taking the knowledge in. You can be a reservoir and grow in knowledge and never transmit it to anybody else. You can just keep reading and keep learning and keep growing and memorize and do all of those wonderful things that are not bad in and of themselves. But if it, you don't grow in grace at the same time, that can be a real problem. Because growing in grace requires things like forgiveness and mercy and humility and compassion and self-sacrificial love for other people, even people you don't like. That's all wrapped up in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Growing in grace requires a heart transformation that is lived out in our daily lives, not just the acquisition of knowledge. For us to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ means to take on his nature, to live as he would if he were me. It's the pursuit of holiness. It's the the lifestyle of holiness. We need both. We definitely need both. In Scripture, we see that the Pharisees had a lot more knowledge than grace. They had memorized the entire first five books of the Bible. Anybody else there? I got to put my hand down. I haven't done that. They had all the knowledge in the world. They had it all memorized, but they were very, very low on grace. In fact, there are only two Pharisees named that demonstrated having any grace at all, any openness to the way of Christ at all. And I say this, and I hope you can hear it in the spirit that it said, there are a lot of modern evangelicals that struggle with this imbalance between grace and knowledge as well. High on knowledge, low on grace. And the flip side is dangerous too. The flip side of being all grace and no truth, all grace and no knowledge, does not lead people to salvation either. We must grow. And I think Paul knew exactly what he was doing when he said I'm sorry, Peter knew exactly what he was doing when he wrote that we must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think and is the key word, that we would be growing in both. And we grow in grace by living as Jesus did, by letting that grace flow through us, letting that wisdom flow through us into others. And I think we see a clear picture of this, and it's amazing how many times this has popped up in the last couple of months. But in the road to Emmaus, 
in that story in Luke chapter 24, which we talked about in Jesus is the subject and we talked about in the heart of a disciple. And here it comes up again and I almost moved away from it, but I said, no, there's something about the number three that, that makes me want to lean into this and see if this doesn't show us something. But you might remember that story. They're all distraught that they thought Jesus was the Messiah, but he was killed and put in the grave. And so clearly that wasn't the case. They misunderstood something and they're on their way home. And Jesus joins them on the road, and we're told that he opened up their eyes to see how everything in the Scriptures pointed to him. And then when their eyes are finally opened to recognize Jesus as the, the Lord and Savior, Jesus, he disappears. And they book it back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples, but they said, were not our hearts burning within us as He opened our minds to understand the Scriptures. Their first reaction was to go tell somebody. Their first reaction was not, we ought to sleep on this. (laughs) We ought to think about this. We ought to keep this to ourselves. No, it was, we got to share this. We got to share this. And, And as you spend time in God's Word and your eyes are open to see how everything in there points to Him. There's a false gospel out there that says everything in this book points to you. But really, it was designed to point to him. And we can't make ourselves the subject of this story because he's the subject of the story, and he made us the subject of his life. We've got to get that in the right order. We've got to understand that everything in the Word of God points us to Jesus. That was the intention. That was the purpose. And we spend time every single day on the road of life with Jesus, seeing how it all points to him, learning from him, how it all points to to him. And that doesn't give us a big head full of knowledge only. It gives us a transformed and burning heart. The heart of a disciple is on fire to share that grace and that knowledge with others. Because the wise are to be rivers of wisdom, not reservoirs. We're to be rivers of grace and of knowledge. We're to let it flow through us so that we can pass it on to others. That's the purpose. That's the intention. That was Solomon's intention in writing Proverbs. That was Jesus' intention in coming and living a perfect sinless life to save us from our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could spend eternity with him and that we could live lives of purpose and passion here on earth, pointing people to that God that loves them like that. And so that's our goal. That's our purpose today. As we close out this series... Don't let God's wisdom stop with you. Don't let his grace stop with you. Let it flow through you into the lives of others. Be a bearer of good news. Be someone who shares the wisdom you have with the people around you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you that you are a good God, that you love us, that you came to find us, to show us the way back to you. We thank you that you have cast a vision for our life that doesn't end with us. That our lives would would touch many lives. That your love and your grace and your mercy, that your wisdom and your truth would flow into us and then would flow through our lives into the lives of those that you have 
placed in our sphere of influence. And we see this so clearly as we read the gospel that that every person you interacted with, you blessed in some way. You shared wisdom. You shared truth. You shared grace. Help us to be the same, O Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.